Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. slightly different vibe from by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down hey hey we did go on how many of you were expecting that excellent okay the context of this is the northern kingdom of Israel which had split off a couple hundred years before 150 years before this point has been carted off into exile by the Assyrians so it's just Judah which is the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites. 
and they've gone on. But, well, in terms of the law, well, sometimes they worship just God, but then other times they worship the local idols. The temple, well, sometimes it's purely for the worship of God, and when the idol worship really gets going, they worship idols in God's temple. The prophets who point them back to the road, well, you wouldn't want to have the life insurance policy of any of the prophets. It's a dangerous occupation. And the kings, well, they're flaky. One king will be all right, and then his son will be rubbish. I'm going to read to you from Second Chronicles 36, which talks about the fall of Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers, that's the prophets, again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, they burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the law spoken by Jeremiah. And then in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation, skipping, that the Jews could come back. So that's Second Chronicles 36, 17 to 23. The exile is one verse, verse 21. The 70 years of exile. This psalm, I believe, is the only psalm that's specific to a particular time and a particular place. And the Jews have just celebrated their festival of Tisha B'Av just a few days ago, in which they remember the temples that have come and the temples that have gone. This temple that was destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians and then the second temple destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. The elite, the great and the good, have been exiled. They've lost their home. They've lost their land and their temple given by God. 2 Kings 25 describes in some detail how the Babylonians looted the city and destroyed the walls and looted the temple. They've lost their status, their wealth. They've gone from being, I suppose, like a cabinet minister to now in Babylon being a day labourer. And if you were unfortunate enough to be a senior priest, a politician or senior military figure, 
you've been executed. So here they sit in Babylon, in Psalm 137. And their new masters say to them, Come on, Jews, we know you like music. Sing us a happy work song. Yeah. And they say, memorably, How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? How do we celebrate our demise? It seems perverse to do that. Oh, I've got cancer. Yay! No, doesn't quite work. And these songs, they were for God and for his people in worship. They weren't for Babylonian butchers. The psalm is a lament, just like this road that we just sung is a lament. Grief and faith travel hand in hand. Pain and faith. And if you look at the book of Psalms, there's an awful lot of oh woe is me type songs. We don't have so many in the modern church. I don't think we're too comfortable with pain in the way that they were. In verse 5, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. So if my right hand forgets its skill, I can't play the harp. In verse 6, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. So I can't sing. Some of us can't sing anyway, but that's another story. Hear the emotions, though. There's longing, there's mourning, there's anguish, there's homesickness. And then they get to verse 7. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day that Jerusalem fell. And then daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. There's anger, there's rage. Bash their children against the rocks. Like I said before, I've never been that angry, but they were. They really, really, really want to hurt them. But do you know what's missing from Psalm 137? There's no repentance. There's no remorse. There's no acceptance that actually we're in this position because we broke our deal with God and flirted with the idols and did everything that he asked us not to do. There's no self-responsibility yet. Now this song was adopted by the decolonization movement in the 1970s when African countries were given their own government and becoming countries in their own right. And that happened a bit in the West Indies and in the US civil rights movement and here with the Māori Renaissance in New Zealand, Aotearoa. And they sung the song joyfully. For those of you who remember Boney M will know. And I think it was reflecting the sense for them that they were leaving that place of exile, that they were becoming full citizens where they lived, that they were getting self-determination. So this was a happy place. Okay. So what's its relevance to us? Well, I reckon that the Western church, the New Zealand church, is in exile. And actually has been for quite a while, really. If you think about the things that the church has brought to society, which is quite a good list. Schools, hospitals, universities, social work and orphanages, more recently rest homes, poor relief, social reform. Most of those roles are now done by government in a secular way, because we have a secular state, and our story 
is now just one among many. We've become fringe dwellers. Our things that we tend to get excited about, censorship, sexuality, who can marry and when, all that moral conservatism stuff, that's been replaced by this radical individualism. Anyone can do what they like as long as they don't harm someone else. The most recent example of that was the end-of-life legislation. I thought the Christian opposition to that measure was thoughtful, fact and research-based, and not a knee-jerk reaction. And in my lifetime, that's the first time I can say those things about a Christian reaction to a social issue. I felt proud of what was being said and how it was being done. But it still passed. No one much cares what we think, if they ever did. Now, the good thing about exile experience is that if you read this, being good Baptists, we do, people of God have been through this sort of thing quite a bit. Slavery in Egypt, exile in Babylon, and then when the Christian church came along, fringe dwellers in a pagan Roman empire. The first five books, especially Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Lamentations are all books of exile. There's tons of experience in here about what it is to be in this place. And I've just been thinking about that and just got these thoughts about how we might respond. I think the first one is to lament, to grieve our losses and let them go. You know, if they don't say Jesus in the parliamentary prayer anymore, so what? We need to move on. We need to reinvent ourselves. Our first 250 years as a Christian movement in um, the Mediterranean, we were on the fringe. And actually, we did pretty well, if you read your church history. I think we need to go back to our knitting. Sharing God's love with those on the margins. The poor, the lonely, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. Psalm 137 was adopted by the black liberation movement on a basis of optimism, on a basis of being future-focused. I think we can learn from them, and in that regard, we're going to hear another version of that song. to you by the Heartland Bank.
talvez like to come up and cleanse the building. We're in a pink toga. Truly the 1970s were the decade that taste forgot. <laughs> <laughs> 